I'm Lauren Conway, and this is the Epiongo Line. Today, I'm joined by Leslie Betts, Jeff Bowman, Kathy Chepesky, Brian Peterson, Carol Peterson, Lynn Stewart, and Mark Wormkey. They are all members of the Upyongo Readers Theatre, and together, we're here to help celebrate St. Patrick's Day, that one day where we all turn green with envy because we're not Irish those other 364 days a year. Okay, maybe that's not quite it. But suffice it to say, we're very happy to spend the next hour or so celebrating the Irish, and in particular, St. Patrick. For it might strike many as next door to impossible, but not a lot is known with certainty about the patron saint of the Emerald Isle. And though much of the world will be celebrating St. Patrick this week, including the good folks of our very own Irish villages of Maynooth and Killaloo up here in the upper Madawaska Valley, it's not for nothing that we thought it high time to find out a little more about St. Patrick. Most know St. Patrick was declared a saint as far back as the 7th century, if only for driving all the snakes out of Ireland. But it comes as a bit of a shock to many when they discover that poor St. Patrick lost his driver's license, so to speak, or never had one in the first place. He may be the patron saint of Ireland for well over 1,300 years, but for some reason or another, the high and mighty who run the Vatican never did get around to canonizing him and making St. Patrick, well, a real card-carrying saint. You would think that after all those years, somebody would have noticed. Yet, nobody's about to complain. Official or not, St. Patrick's still a fella with an incredible following, and someone who's had countless books, plays, poems, and songs written about him. Still, it's amazing that most, if not all those books, plays, poems, and songs, are filled with the same scant details. Stuff about getting rid of all those snakes. Or when he was a teenager living in Carlisle, along the coast of Roman Britain, he was captured by Irish pirates, and taken across the Irish Sea to where he was enslaved, sometime in the late 4th or early 5th century. Curiously, during that time, Patrick himself became a fervent Christian, having been raised by his father as a somewhat lackadaisical believer. But after six years of being held against his will in Ireland, St. Patrick somehow won his freedom and left the old sod, he thought, for good. Sometime later, he became a priest, then a bishop, and then, wouldn't you know it, he returned to Ireland to convert the whole kit and caboodle, all those wild Irish Celts and Gaels who believed in all sorts of strange mythological gods, and who had been taught as much by their religious leaders, the Druids. Indeed, it was those wily old Druids, along with countless Irish poets and storytellers, who had created a unique Celtic belief system, full of exotic-sounding places, strange mythologies, and inspiring legends about Finn and his fearless band of followers, the Fianna, who, if the truth must be known, and it must, made those marauding Vikings of a later era sound like, well, about as scary as a gaggle of schoolgirls. Still, the question remains, who exactly was St. Patrick, and what exactly is his story? One of the more interesting people to answer that question was Lady Gregory, that late 19th century author and playwright. We've met here before on the Epiongo line, over the past two years. We have often turned to Lady Gregory for much of our artistic inspiration, and so it was with considerable joy that we soon discovered that she too was curious about St. Patrick. Only, she was much better equipped to answer that question of St. Patrick's whereabouts than most of us. She could speak Irish, and so she could consult with the old Irish storytellers who still preserved the oral history of St. Patrick for well over 1,500 years. Lady Gregory could also read Irish, and so had little trouble giving a close look at many of those ancient Irish manuscripts that also told anecdotally of St. Patrick's life. So, today, 
In honor of St. Patrick's Day, the Upiongo Readers' Theater is happy to present the many findings of Lady Gregory, word for word, as she uncovered them on the tongues of old Irish storytellers and in the ancient ink of old scribes and monks who once copied these anecdotal stories onto parchment manuscripts, all throughout what used to be called the Dark Ages. And just to set the scene, we have for your listing pleasure one of the oldest Irish poems ever to be scribbled in the margins of one of those ancient Irish texts by an anonymous Irish monk. It's a pretty good poem, translated into modern English by Robin Flowers, one of those great Celtic poets and researchers from Lady Gregory's time. The poem deals with a somewhat distracted but thoroughly dedicated Irish scholar from the 9th century, undoubtedly similar to the ones in the 5th century who preserved the stories of St. Patrick's comings and goings. Here it is. I and Pangerban, my cat, tis a like task we are at. Hunting mice is his delight. Hunting words, I sit all night. Better far than praise of men tis to sit with book and pen. Panger bears me no ill will. He too plies his simple skill. Tis a merry task to see at our tasks how glad are we, when at home we sit and find entertainment to our mind. Oftentimes a mouse will stray in the hero Panger's way. Oftentimes my keen thought set takes a meaning in its net. Gainst the wall he sets his eye, full and fierce and sharp and sly. Gainst the wall of knowledge I all my little wisdom try. When a mouse darts from its den, oh, how glad is Panger then! Oh, what gladness do I prove when I solve the doubts I love! So in peace our task we ply, Panger ban my cat and I. In our arts we find our bliss. I have mine, and he has his. Practice every day has made Panger perfect in his trade. I get wisdom day and night, turning darkness into light. Now that we've got you warmed up, no time like the present to dive right in. In 1906, Lady Gregory published many of her findings about St. Patrick that she had gleaned from all those ancient Irish manuscripts, and in her travels in the west of Ireland, talking to the likes of people who probably looked and sounded like the likes of you and me. That is, if we were wandering the back roads of Ireland between Killaloo and Maynooth. Anyway, the book Lady Gregory published back then was called A Book of Saints and Wonders, And here are the relevant sections that deal with St. Patrick, translated by Lady Gregory herself from ancient Irish. There were many great saints among the Gael, but Patrick was the bush among them all. It was beyond the sea he was born, and his mother was a sister of St. Martin of Tours. And he dreamed in Rome, and he walked all Ireland barefoot. It was in his youth he was brought from France to Ireland as a slave, and he was set to serve four households, and he did his work so well that every one of the households thought him to be servant to itself alone, and it was by an angel the ashes used to be cleared away from the hearth for him. Patrick was sent out after a while minding swine, and he went through great hardships. But Victor, the angel, used to come to visit him and to teach him the order of prayer. And he had no way to buy his freedom. But one time a wild boar came rooting in the field and brought up a lump of gold. And Patrick brought it to a tinker. And the tinker said, It is nothing but solder. Give it here to me. He then brought it to a smith. And the smith told him it was gold. And with that gold, he bought his freedom. And from that time, the smiths have been lucky, taking money every day and never without work. But as for the tinkers, 
Every man's face is against them, and their face is against every man, and they get no ease or rest, but are ever and always traveling the world. After that, Patrick went out to sea with foreigners, and he went back to his own country, and his people asked him to stop there with them. But he would not, for always in his sleep he could see the island of Gale, and he could hear the singing of the children of the woods of Falkland. He went over the Sea of Eat, and then he fasted on the islands of the Torian Sea. And then he went to learn from Germanus, and after that again to Rome. And then he and his people went out to sea, nine in all. And they came to an island, where they saw a new house, and a young man and a young woman in it. And they saw a withered old hag by the door of the house. What happened to this woman? said Patrick. It is great her weakness is. She is my old grandchild. Older she is, said the young man. What way did that happen, said Patrick. It is not hard to say that, said the young man, for we are here from the time of Christ, he said, and he came to visit us when he was here among men, and we made a feast for him, and he blessed our house, and he blessed ourselves. But the blessing did not reach our children, and this is the way it will be, without age coming upon us, to the judgment. And it was a long time coming, as it is foretold to us, he said, and that is the will of God, for you to go and preach in the country of the Gael. And Christ left a token with us, a bent staff, to be given to you. Patrick took the staff with him and went back to Germanus. And Victor the angel came and said to him, It was God's bidding to you to go back and to teach in the country of the Gael. But Patrick was not willing to go, and he complained to God of the hard-heartedness of the gale. And God said, I myself will be your helper. Then Patrick went back to Rome, and he was made a bishop. And when they were making a bishop of him, the three choirs answered to them. The choir of the people of heaven, the choir of the Romans, and the choir of the children of the wood of Folklet. It was in the east of Ireland he landed at Innispatrick, And three times before that, the Druids had foretold his coming, and it is what they said. Ads' heads will come over an angry sea, their cloaks whole-headed, their staves crooked, their tables to the east of their houses. They will all answer, Amen. At the time he landed, it was the Feast of Beltane, and on that day every year the High King lighted a fire in Timur, and there was a Giza, that is a bond, upon the men of Ireland not to kindle a fire in any place before the kindling of that fire in Timur. Patrick now struck the flame of the Paschal fire, and all the people saw it, and it lighted up the whole of Mabreg. That is a breaking of bonds, said the king to his druids, and find out for me, he said, Who was it kindled that fire? And it is what the Druids said. Unless that fire is quenched before morning in the same night it was kindled, it will never be quenched. And when the fire was not quenched in that night, there was great anger on the king. Patrick made this hymn one time as he was going to preach the faith at Tara, and his enemies lay in hiding to make an attack on him as he passed. But as he himself... And Benan, his servant, went by. All they could see passing was a wild deer and a fawn. And the deer's cry is the name of the hymn to this day. I bind myself today to a strong strength, to a calling on the Trinity. I believe in a threeness with confession of a oneness in the creator of the world. 
I bind myself today to the strength of Christ's birth and his baptism, to the strength of his crucifixion with his burial, to the strength of his resurrection with his ascension. In stability of earth, in steadfastness of rock, I bind to myself today God's strength to pilot me, God's power to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's path to lie before me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me against snares of demons, against the begging of sins, against the asking of nature, against all my ill-wishers near me and far from me, alone and in a crowd. So I have called on all these strengths to come between me and every fierce and merciless strength that may come between my body and my soul. Against incantations of false prophets, against black laws of heathens, against false laws of heretics, against craft of idolatry, against spells of women and smiths and druids, against every knowledge forbidden to the souls of men. Christ, for my protection today against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, that a multitude of rewards may come to me. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ under me, Christ over me, Christ to the right of me, Christ to the left of me, Christ in lying down, Christ in sitting, Christ in rising up, Christ in the heart of everyone that thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone that speaks to me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. I bind to myself today a strong strength to a calling upon the Trinity. I believe in a threeness with confession of a oneness in the creator of the world. It is often told by the people of Ireland how O'Sheen, son of Finn, came back to Ireland in the time of Patrick. And the poets of Ireland have put into verses the arguments they used to be having with one another. And there are some say, Guiata of the Fianna and a troop of his people were in Ireland at the same time. And whether or not that story is true, this is the way the meeting between himself and Patrick is put down in the old writings. Patrick was one time singing the Mass at the Wrath of the Red Ridge, where Finn, son of Gul, used to be, and his clerks were with him. And the clerks saw Quieta and his people coming towards them, and fear and terror fell on them before the great men and the great hounds that were with them, for they were not of the one time with themselves. It is then there rose up that high herdsman, that angel of the earth, Patrick, son of Calpern, apostle of the Gael, and he sprinkled holy water upon the big men, and with that every bad thing that was about them made a way into the hills, and the scalps and the borders of the country on every side, and the big men sat down. And there was great wonder on the clerks as they looked at them, for the tallest of themselves reached but to their waist or to their shoulders, and they were sitting. What name have you, said Patrick then? I am Quietet, son of Ronan of the Fianna. Was it not a good lord you were with, said Patrick, that is Finn, son of Cool? And Quieta said, 
if the brown leaves falling in the woods were gold, if the waves of the sea were silver, Finn would have given away the whole of it. Well, what was it kept you through your lifetime, said Patrick? Truth that was in our hearts, and strength in our hands, and fulfillment in our tongues, said Quieta. Then Patrick gave them food and drink, and good treatment, and talked with them. And on the morning of the morrow, his two protecting angels came to him out on the green. And he asked them, was it any harm before the king of heaven and earth for him to be listening to the stories of the Fianna? And it is what the angels answered him. Holy clerk, they said, it is no more than a third of their stories these old fighting men can tell by reason of forgetfulness and their memory that fails them. But whatever they tell, let you write it down on poets' boards and in the words of poets, for it will be a diversion to the companies and the high people of the latter times to be listening to them. And Patrick did as they bade him, and he bade Brogan the scribe to write down all the stories told by Quieta, and Brogan did that, and they are in the world to this day. One time, Dearmouth, King of Ireland, was with Patrick on the hill of Osnash, and there was no water to be had. And one of the big men of the Fianna, it might have been Quilta, and it might have been Oshin, asked for a vessel that he might go and get it. And as he went, he was looking back to see were they watching him. And when he was out of their sight, he went to the well of Osnash that was called the White Brimmed. And since the time of the Battle of Gabra, it had never been found by any man in Ireland. And when he came to the brink of the well, he saw in it eight beautiful speckled salmon, for it was such a hidden place, there was nothing for them to be in dread of. He took then eight sprigs of watercress and eight of brooklime, and he put down the vessel into the well, and he took the eight salmon alive and leaping like mad things. And then he went back and set the vessel before the king of Ireland. And there was wonder on them all seeing that. And the stalk of every one of the sprigs of the watercress reached as high as Dearmouth's knee. They must be divided into two shares, he said, a half to Patrick and a half ourselves. Not so, said Patrick, for there are more of you than of ourselves. But make three parts, he said, and give one to the church, for that is her own share. And so it was done. That is well, King of Ireland, he said then, but do not lose your share in heaven through these big men. What do you mean saying that, said Dearmouth? I mean that you have your thoughts too much taken up with them, said Patrick. One time the King of Ulster went up with Quilcha to a great list that was called Foranifeana, the resting place of the Fianna. And when they were there, they saw coming towards them a young man that was wearing a beautiful green cloak, having in it a silver brooch, a shirt of yellow silk next to his skin he had, a coat of soft satin, and a harp from his neck. "'Where do you come from, and who are you yourself?' said the king. "'I come from the south, from the hill of Bodarg, son of the Dagda,' said he, "'and I am Kaskorik, son of Cainchin, that is poet to the Tuhade Danan, and I am the makings of a poet myself.' And it is what I come for now, he said, to get true knowledge in the stories of the Fianna and their great deeds from Quilcha, son of Ronan. With that, he took his harp and made music for them till he had put them all into their sleep. Well, Quilcha, my soul, he said then, what answer will you give me? I will give you all you are asking, said Quilcha, if you have the skill and the understanding to learn all the Fianna did of arms and bravery. 
and it was a great fighting man used to be in this place, he said. That was Finn, son of Kual, and it is riches and great wages you would have got from him for your music, although this day the place is empty. And he made this lament. The resting place of the Fianna is bare tonight, where Finn of the naked sword used to be. Through the death of the king that was without gloom, wide loon is deserted. The high company are not living. Finn the very prince is not alive. No armies to be seen. No captain with the king of the Fianna. They are all gone, the people of Finn, they that used to be going from valley to valley. It is a pity the life I have now to be left after Diarmud and Conan, after Gaul, son of Morna, from the plain. It is the truth I am telling you, all that I say is true. It is great our losses were there beyond. They are gone, the armies and the hundreds. It is a pity I myself not to have found death. They are all gone now. They used to be together from border to border. Then Quilcha brought to mind the loss of the heroes and of the great companies he used to be going among, and he cried miserably, sorrowfully, till all his breast was wet with him. He set out after that, and Kaskorik was with him, and they went up by hills and rocks to the top of green-grassed Slifua, to the rowan tree of the meadow of the two stags, and to the place where the men of Ulster left their chariots after the last battle of the war for the bull of Kulnia. And Patrick was there before him, having with him three times fifty bishops, and three times fifty priests, and three times fifty deacons, and three times fifty singers of psalms. And they sat down there, and Patrick kept his hours with praising the maker of the world. Then he gave a welcome to Quilcha. Well, my soul, he said, who is that well-looking, dark-eyebrowed, curly-headed young man that is with you, having a harp with him? He's Keskorik, son of the musician of the Tuhadidanen, that has come to find news and knowledge of the Fianna from me. It is a good road he has chosen, said Patrick. And O oh, Quilcha, he said, it is great good you yourself have waited for, the time of belief and of saints and of holiness, and to be in friendship with the king of heaven and earth. And play for us now, Keskorik, he said, till we hear your music and your skill. I will do that said Keskorek, and I never was better pleased, holy clerk, to do it for any man than for yourself. He took his harp then and readied it, and played a strain of music, and the clerks had never heard the like of that music for sweetness, unless it might be the praises of the King of Heaven sung according to the rule. And they all fell into their sleep, listening to the continuous music of the she. And when Keskorek had made an end of the playing, he asked a reward of Patrick. What reward are you asking, my soul? said Patrick. Heaven for myself, said he, for that is the reward is best, and good luck to go with my art, and with all that will follow it after me. I give you heaven, said Patrick, and I give this to your art, it to be one of the three arts by which a man can find profit to the last in Ireland. And however great the grudgingness a man of your art may meet with, let him make but his music, and no one will begrudge him anything. And that they may have all happiness, he said, so long as they are not slothful in their trade. After that, Kaskorik put back his harp in its covering. That was good music you gave us, said Brogan the scribe. It was good indeed, said Patrick, and but for a taste of the music of the she that was in it, I never heard anything nearer to the music of heaven. 
If there is music in heaven, why should it not be on earth? said Brogan. And so it is right not to banish it away. If there is music in heaven, why should it not be on earth? said Brogan. And so it is not right to banish it away. I do not say we should banish it, said Patrick, but only that we should not hold to it out of measure. But after a good while, Quita said, Holy Patrick, my soul, I'm thinking it is time for me to be going tomorrow. Why would you go? said Patrick. Ah, oh, to be searching out the hills and the hollows of every place where my comrades and the King of Finian used to be, together with me, for it seems a long time for me to be in one place. And when they rose up on the morrow, Quita laid his hand on Patrick's bosom, and it is what Patrick said, From myself to yourself, in the house or out of the house, in whatever place God will lay his hand on you, I give you heaven. Ed, King of Connaught, was at Dunlodoloinsi one time, giving a great feast. And it happened at the fall of the clouds of evening, he came out on the green lawn, and as he was there and the people of his household with him, he saw on one side a girl of wonderful appearance, having yellow hair, and she not looking at the people, but only at the king. Where do you come from, girl? said the king. Out of the shining bra in the east, said she. For what cause are you come? said the king. You are my sweetheart, said she. Whose daughter are you, and what name have you? said the king. I am Eileen of the Many Shapes, daughter to Bodurg, son of the Dagda. I have never seen a woman I would sooner have as a wife than yourself, said the king, but that I am under the rule of blessed Patrick and of the king of heaven and earth. And Patrick bound me, he said, to have one wife only, that is Aoife, daughter of you and king of Leinster. And would you wish to be seen by the great men of my kingdom, he said. I would like it indeed, said she, for I am not an ever-living woman of the she, but I am of the Tuadadanan, having my own body about me. Then she showed herself to the whole gathering of the people, and they never saw before or after a woman more beautiful than herself. And what judgment do you put upon me, king? she said. Whatever judgment blessed Patrick gives, I will give it, said he. Then Ed sent messengers to Patrick, where he was in the south, and they brought him to Bindelbane in Manmeg. And Ed, the king, went to meet him there, and knelt before him, and told him the whole story. Are you the girl, said Patrick, that gave her love to the king of Connaught? I am, said she. Well, girl, said Patrick, it is good your shape is, and your appearance. And what is it keeps you like this, he said, at the very height of your comeliness? Every one that drank at Goibnew's feast, she said, no sickness or wasting comes upon them. And tell me now, holy clerk, she said, what is your judgment on myself and on the king of Connaught? It is a good one, said Patrick. It is settled by God and myself that a man must have one wife only. And I myself, said the girl, what am I to do? Go back to your house among the she, said Patrick, and if it should happen the king of Leinster's daughter to die before yourself, let the man you have given your love to take you as his only wife. But if you should try to harm Ed or his wife by day or by night, he said, I will destroy you the way neither your father or your mother or your fosters will like to be looking at you. Then the girl cried pitifully, heavily, and the king said, I am dear to you, 
You are dear to me indeed, said she. There is not one of the people of the world is dearer to me than yourself, said the king, but I must not go beyond the conditions of the ad's head and of God. With that, the girl went back to her hidden house among the she. And after a while, the wife of the king of Connet died at Yurangarade and was buried on the hill that is called the High Place of the Angels. And after that again, there was a gathering made of all the five provinces of Ireland to hold the Feast of Timur. And Patrick and Aid, King of Connet, were out on the green, and they saw coming towards them Eileen, daughter of Bordurg, having with her three fifties of the woman of the Tuatha de Danann. And she sat down on the grass beside Patrick and the King of Connet, and she gave her message. Then Patrick said to the king, I will give her to you if you will take her as your wife. Whatever you are willing for me to do, I will do it, said the king. I promised you would take her, said Patrick, if she would give up her false druid belief and kneel to the king of heaven and earth. Do you agree to that, Eileen, said the king? I agree to it, said she. Then she rose up and her women, and they all kneeled to Patrick, and Patrick joined her and the king in marriage. That now was the first marriage made by the Adshead in Ireland. Patrick was one time at Cron of Connaught, and he went up to that well that is called Cleback, and that is opposite the rising of the sun. And he sat down beside the well, and his clerks with him. There were two daughters now of Lear, the high king, who were living at Roth Cron at that time, getting their learning from the Druids, and the name of the one was Athna, and the other was Faelm the rosy red. And it was their custom every morning to come and wash themselves in the well. And on this day when they came, they saw a company of men having white clothes and books before them beside the well. And there was great wonder on them. And they thought them to be of the people of the she. And they questioned Patrick and said to him, Where do you come from? And where are you going? And is it gods you are, they said, or men from the hills of the she? It would be better for you to believe in God than to be asking who we ourselves are, said Patrick. Who is your God, said Ethna? And where is he, she said. Is it in the skies he is, or in the earth, or under the earth, or upon the earth, or in the seas, or in the streams, or in the mountains, or in the valleys? And has he riches, she said. Is he young? Is he beautiful? Has he sons and daughters? Is he of the ever-living ones? Patrick took in hand then to answer their questions and to teach them the true faith. And he told them it was fitting they should join with the king of glory, being as they were the daughters of an earthly king. And when they had heard the whole story, a great desire came upon them to serve him. And it is the desire of our hearts, they said, to see his son, our husband. That is not possible, said Patrick, but through taking the body of Christ through death. We would die surely, they said, if we might see Christ on the moment. Then Patrick baptized them and gave them the body of Christ and put a white veil upon their heads. And they were filled with peace and with the friendship of God. And when they were sleeping in death, his people put them on a little bed 
and laid coverings over them and keened them there. The Savior told Patrick one time to go and prepare a man that was going to die. And Patrick said, I would sooner not go, for I never yet saw the soul part from the body. But after that, he went and prepared the man. And when he was lying there dead, he saw the soul go from the body. And three times it went to the door, and three times it came back and kissed the body. And Patrick asked the Savior why it did that. And he said, that soul was sorry to part from the body because it had kept it so clean and so honest. Patrick went one time into a house in the south, and the people of it were poor, and they had not a candle, or a rushlight, or turf, or sticks for a fire. But when the daylight was done, what they had to do was go to their bed. And when Patrick came in and saw the house so dark, he said, Are there no green rushes growing in the bog? So they went out and brought him a bundle of green rushes, and he took them into his hand, and blessed them, and they gave out a light through the whole time of night. Patrick was walking up the hill of Ordwaka one time with his people, and they found a doe resting on the ground and a fawn beside her. And his people were going to kill the fawn, but Patrick forbade them, and he took it in his arms and carried it, and the doe came following after him. And it was in the place where he put down the fawn, the church of Ordwaka, was built for him afterwards. When the time came for Patrick to die, it is to Ardwahu he had a desire to go. But Victor, the angel, went to meet him on the road at midday and said, Go back to the place you came from, to the barn, for it is there your death will be. And give thanks to Christ, he said, for your prayers are granted. It is to heaven you will soon be going. And when his soul parted from his body, there was no candle wasted with him. But it was the angels of God kept lasting watch over him until the end of twelve nights. And through all that time, there was no night in Moyanish with the light of the angels. It is that was a long day of peace. And after his death, there was near being a great battle between the men of Ulster and the Wee Nile, fighting for his body. But at the last it seemed to them that his body was brought by each of them to his own country. And so they were separated by God. Well, wasn't that a caution? It's no wonder people might be a tad confused about St. Patrick. He certainly doesn't sound like the sort of saint we're perhaps used to. Still, after all that, and not even a whiff about killing all those snakes, how's that possible? But before we get led astray, distracted by a new question, perhaps it's best to stay with Lady Gregory's other great book that helps explain the life of St. Patrick. It's called Gods and Fighting Men and was published in 1904. It was based on her field research in the west of Ireland, among those Kiltartan purveyors of folk tales, as well as from among those rarefied, if dusty and ancient, Irish manuscripts kept in Trinity College, Dublin. Toward the end of Gods and Fighting Men, which mainly deals with the mythological heritage of the Irish, complete with the coming of the Tudaha Donan, the ever-living ones, the children of Lear, and especially Finn, the mightiest warrior that Ireland ever knew, Lady Gregory also wrote about the demise of Finn and his son Usheen around the time that St. Patrick arrived in Ireland. Indeed, Lady Gregory devotes several chapters of gods and fighting men to Finn and his band of merry pranksters, and in particular, she devoted much effort to showing the relationship of those old dying Celtic heroes and the coming of St. Patrick. 
Here, then, is most of Lady Gregory's final chapter from Gods and Fighting Men, where she deals with the conversion of Oshin, Finn's old warrior son, who is the last surviving member of the Fianna, Ireland's mythological warrior class. He's just come back to Ireland, only to unexpectedly meet St. Patrick. As to Oshin, it was a long time after he was brought away by Neve that he came back again to Ireland. Some say it was hundreds of years he was in the country of the young, and some say it was thousands of years he was in it. But whatever time it was, it seemed short to him. And whatever happened to him through the time he was away, it is a withered old man he was found after coming back to Ireland, and his white horse going away from him, and he lying on the ground. And it was St. Patrick had power at that time, and it was to him a sheen was brought. And he kept him in his house and used to be teaching him and questioning him. And Asheen was no way pleased with the way Ireland was then, but he used to be talking of the old times and fretting after the Fianna. And Patrick bade him to tell what happened to him the time he left Finn and the Fianna and went away with Neve. And it is the story Asheen told. The time I went away with golden-haired Neve, we turned our backs to the land, and our faces westward, and the sea was going away before us and filling up in waves after us. And we saw wonderful things on our journey, he said, cities and courts and dunes and lime-white houses and shining sunny houses and palaces. And one time we saw beside us a hornless deer running hard and an eager white red-eared hound following after it. And another time we saw a young girl on a horse and having a golden apple in her right hand and she going over the tops of the waves and there was following after her a young man riding a white horse and having a crimson cloak and a gold-hilted sword in his right hand. Follow on with your story, pleasant Asheen, said Patrick, for you did not tell us yet what was the country you went to. The country of the young. The country of victory it was, said Asheen. And, oh, Patrick, he said, there is no lie in that name. And if there are grandeurs in your heaven the same as there are there, I would give my friendship to God. We turned our backs then to the Jun, he said, and the horse under us was quicker than the spring wind on the backs of the mountains. And it was not long till the sky darkened, and the wind rose in every part, and the sea was as if on fire, and there was nothing to be seen of the sun. But after we were looking at the clouds and the stars for a while, the wind went down, and the storm, and the sun brightened. And we saw before us a very delightful country under full blossoms and smooth plains in it, and a king's dune that was very grand, and that had every colour in it, and sunny houses beside it, and palaces of shining stones made by skilled men. And we saw coming out to meet us three fifties of armed men, very lively and handsome. And I asked Neve, was this the country of the young? And she said, it was. And indeed, Asheen, she said, I told you no lie about it and you will see all I promised you before you forever. And there came out after that a hundred beautiful young girls having cloaks of silk worked with gold, and they gave me a welcome to their own country. And after that there came a great shining army, and with it a strong, beautiful king, having a shirt of yellow silk and a golden cloak over it, and a very bright crown on his head. And there was following after him a young queen, and fifty young girls along with her. 
And when we were all come to the one spot, the king took me by the hand, and he said out before them all, A hundred thousand welcomes before you, Asheen, son of Finn. And as to this country you are come to, he said, I will tell you news of it without a lie. It is long and lasting your life will be in it, and you yourself will be young forever. And there is no delight the heart ever thought of, he said, but it is here against your coming. And you can believe my words, Asheen, he said, for I myself am the king of the country of the young, and this is its comely queen. And it was golden-headed Neve, our daughter, that went over the sea looking for you to be her husband forever. I gave thanks to him then, and I stooped myself down before the queen, and we went forward to the royal house, and all the high nobles came out to meet us, both men and women, and there was a great feast made there through the length of ten days and ten nights. And that is the way I married Neve of the golden hair, and that is the way I went to the country of the young. Although it is sorrowful to me to be telling it now, O Patrick from Rome, said Asheen. Follow on with your story, Asheen of the Destroying Arms, said Patrick, and tell me what way did you leave the country of the young? For it is long to me till I hear that, and tell us now, had you any children by Neve, and was it long you were in that place? Two beautiful children I had by Neve, said Asheen, two young sons and a comely daughter. And Neve gave the two sons the name of Finn and Osgar, and the name I gave to the daughter was the flower. And I did not feel the time passing, and it was a long time I stopped there, he said, till the desire came on me to see Finn and my comrades again, and I asked leave of the king and of Neve to go back to Ireland. You will get leave from me, said Neve, but for all that, she said, it is a bad news you're giving me, for I'm in dread you will never come back here again through the length of your days. But I bade her have no fear, since the white horse would bring me back safe again from Ireland. Bear this in mind, Asheen, she said then, if you once get off the horse while you are away, or if you once put your foot to the ground, you will never come back here again. And, O oh, Asheen, she said, I tell it to you now for the third time. If you once get down from the horse, you'll be an old man, blind and withered, without liveliness, without mirth, without running, without leaping. And it is a grief to me, Asheen, she said, you ever to go back to Green Ireland, and it is not now as it used to be, and you will not see Finn and his people, for there is not now in the whole of Ireland but a father of orders and armies of saints, and here is my kiss for you, pleasant Asheen, she said, for you will never come back any more to the country of the young. And that is my story, Patrick, and I've told you no lie in it, said Asheen. And oh, Patrick, he said, if I was the same the day I came here as I was that day, I would have made an end of all your clerks, and there would be not a head left on a neck after me. Go on with your story, said Patrick, and you will get the same good treatment from me you got from Finn, for the sound of your voice is pleasing to me. So Asheen went on with his story, and this is what he said. I have nothing to tell you of my journey till I came back into Green Ireland, and I looked about me then on all sides, but there were no tidings to be got of Finn. 
and it was not long until I saw a great troop of riders, men and women, coming towards me from the west. And when they came near, they wished me good health, and there was wonder on them all when they looked at me, seeing me so unlike themselves, and so big and so tall. I asked them then, did they hear if Finn was still living, or any other of the Fianna, or what had happened them? We often heard of Finn that lived long ago, said they, and that there never was his equal for strength or bravery or a great name, and there was many a book written down, they said, by the sweet poets of the Gael about his doings and the doings of the Fianna, and it would be hard for us to tell you all of them. And we heard Finn had a son, they said, that was beautiful and shining, and that there came a young girl looking for him, and he went away with her to the country of the young. And when I knew by their talk that Finn was not living or any of the Fianna, it is downhearted I was and tired and very sorrowful after them. And I made no delay, but I turned my face and went on to a loon of Leinster. And there was great wonder on me when I came there to see no sign at all of Finn's great dun and his great hall and nothing in the place where it was but weeds and nettles. And there was grief on a sheen then, and he said, Ach, Patrick, ach, Achone, my grief. It is a bad journey that was to me, and to be without tidings of Finn or the Fianna has left me under pain through my lifetime. Leave off all fretting, Ashin, said Patrick, and shed your tears to the God of grace. Finn and the Fianna are slack enough now, and they will get no help forever. It is a great pity that would be, said Ashin. Finn to be in pain forever, and who was it gained the victory over him when his own hand had made an end of so many a hard fighter? It is God gained the victory over Finn, said Patrick, and not the strong hand of an enemy. And as to the Fianna, they are condemned to hell along with him and tormented forever. Oh, Patrick, said Ashin, show me the place where Finn and his people are, and there is not a hell or heaven there, but I will put it down. And if Osgar, my own son, is there, he said, the hero that was bravest in heavy battles, there is not in hell or in heaven of God a troop so great that he could not destroy it. Let us leave off quarreling on each side now, said Patrick, and go on, Ashin, with your story. What happened to you after you knew the Fianna to be at an end? I will tell you that, Patrick, said Ashin. I was turning to go away, and I saw the stone trough that the Fianna used to be putting their hands in, and it full of water. And when I saw it, I had such a wish and such a feeling for it that I forgot what I was told, and I got off the horse. And in the minute, all the years came back on me, and I was lying on the ground, and the horse took fright and went away, and left me there, an old man, weak and spent, without sight, without shape, without comeliness, without strength or understanding, without respect. There, Patrick, is my story for you now, said Ashin, and no lie in it of all that happened to me going away and coming back again from the country of the young. Ashin stopped on with Patrick, but he was not very well content with the way he was treated. And one time he said, They say I am getting food, but God knows I am not, or drink. And I, Ashin, son of Finn, under a yoke, drawing stones. It is my opinion you are getting enough, said Patrick then, and you getting a quarter of beef and a churn of butter and a griddle of bread every day. I often saw a quarter of a blackbird bigger than your quarter of beef, said Ashin, and a rowanberry as big as your churn of butter, 
and an ivy leaf as big as your griddle of bread. Patrick was vexed when he heard that, and he said to Ushin that he had told a lie. There was great anger on Ushin then, and he went where there was a litter of pups, and he bade a serving boy to nail up the hide of a freshly killed bullock to the wall and to throw the pups against it one by one. And every one that he threw fell down from the hide, till it came to the last, and he held on to it with his teeth and his nails. Rear that one, said Ushin, and drown all the rest. Then he bade the boy to keep the pup in a dark place and to care it well, and never to let it taste blood or see the daylight. And at the end of a year, Ushin was so well pleased with the pup that he gave it the name of Branog, Young Bran. And one day he called to the serving boy to come on a journey with him and to bring the pup in a chain. And they set out and passed by Sleeve Namban, where the witches of the she do be spinning with their spinning wheels. And then they turned eastward into Glenna Small. And Oshin raised a rock that was there, and he bade the lad take from under it three things, a great-sounding horn of the Fianna, and a ball of iron they had for throwing, and a very sharp sword. And when Ushin saw those things, he took them in his hands, and he said, My thousand farewells to the day when you were put here. He bade the lad to clean them well then, and when he had done that, he bade him to sound a blast on the horn. So the boy did that, and Ushin asked him, Did he see anything strange? I did not, said the boy. Sound it again as loud as you can, said Ushin. That is as hard as I can sound it, and I can see nothing yet, said the boy when he had done that. Then Ushin took the horn himself, and he put it to his mouth, and he blew three great blasts on it. What do you see now, he said. I see three great clouds coming, he said, and they are settling down in the valley. And the first cloud is a flight of very big birds. And the second cloud is a flight of birds that are bigger again. And the third flight is of the biggest and the blackest birds the world ever saw. What is the dog doing, said Ushin. The eyes are starting from his head, and there's not a rib of hair on him but is standing up. Let him loose now, said Ushin. The dog rushed down to the valley then, and he made an attack on one of the birds that was the biggest of all, and that had a shadow like a cloud. And they fought a very fierce fight, but at last Branog made an end of the big bird and lapped its blood. But if he did, madness came on him, and he came rushing back towards Ushin, his jaws open and his eyes like fire. There is dread on me, Ushin, said the boy, for the dog is making for us, mad and raging. Take this iron ball and make a cast at him when he comes near, said Ushin. I am in dread to do that, said the boy. Put it in my hand and turn it towards him, said Ushin. The boy did that, and Ushin made a cast of the ball that went into the mouth and the throat of the dog and choked him, and he fell down the slope, twisting and foaming. Then they went where the great bird was left dead, and Ushin bade the lad to cut a quarter off it with the sword, and he did so. And then he bade him cut open the body, and in it he found a rowan berry, the biggest he had ever seen, 
and an ivy leaf that was bigger than the biggest griddle. So Ushin turned back then, and he went to where Patrick was, and he showed him the quarter of the bird that was bigger than any quarter of a bullock, and the rowan berry that was bigger than a churning of butter, and the leaf. And you know now, Patrick of the Bells, he said, that I told no lie. And it is what kept us all through our lifetime, he said. Truth that was in our hearts, and strength in our arms, and fulfillment in our tongues. You told no lie indeed, said Patrick. And when Oshin had no sight left at all, he used every night to pick up one of the serving men on his shoulders and to bring him out to see how were the cattle doing. And one night the servants had no mind to go, and they agreed together to tell him it was a very bad night. And it is what the first of them said. It is outside there is a heavy sound with the heavy water dropping from the tops of trees. The sound of the waves is not to be heard for the loud splashing of the rain. And then the next one said, The trees of the wood are shivering, and the birch is turning black. The snow is killing the birds. That is the story outside. And the third said, It is to the east they have turned their face, the white snow and the dark rain. It is what is making the plains so cold is the snow that is dripping and getting hard. But there was a serving girl in the house, and she said, Rise up, Oshin. And go out to the white-headed cows, since the cold wind is plucking the trees from the hills. Ushin went out then, and the serving man on his shoulders. But it is what the serving man did. He brought a vessel of water and a birch broom with him, and he was dashing water in Ushin's face, the way he would think it was rain. But when they came to the pen where the cattle were, Ushin found the night was quiet. And after that... He asked no more news of the weather from the servants. Patrick took in hand to convert Oshin and to bring him to baptism. But it was no easy work he had to do. And everything he would say, Oshin would have an answer for it. And it is the way they used to be talking and arguing with one another, as it was put down afterwards by the poets of Ireland. Oshin, it is long your sleep is. Rise up and listen to the psalm. Your strength and your readiness are gone from you, though you used to be going into rough fights and battles. My readiness and my strength are gone from me, since Finn has no armies living. I have no liking for clerks. Their music is not sweet to me after his. Oh, you never heard music so good from the beginning of the world to this day. It is well you would serve an army on a hill, you that are old and silly and grey. I used to serve an army on a hill, Patrick of the closed-up mind. It's a pity you to be faulting me, and there was never shame put on me till now. I've heard music sweeter than your music, however much you're praising your clerks. The song of the blackbird and letter lee, and the sound of the dirt fian, the very sweet thrush of the valley of the shadow, or the sound of the boats striking the strand. The cry of the hounds was better to me than the noise of your schools, Patrick. Little nut, little nut of my heart, the little dwarf that was with Finn. He would make tunes and songs, he put us all into deep sleep. The twelve hounds that belonged to Finn, the time they would be let loose facing out from the shore, their cry was sweeter than harps and than pipes. I have a little story about Finn. 
we were but fifteen men. We took the king of the Saxons, and we won a battle against the king of Greece. We fought nine battles in Spain, and nine times twenty battles in Ireland. From Lochlan and from the eastern world, there was a share of gold coming to Finn. My grief, I to be stopping after him, and without delight in games or in music, to be withering away after my comrades, my grief is to be living. I and the clerks of the mass books are two that can never agree. If Finn and the Fianna were living, I would leave the clerks and the bells, and I would follow the deer through the valleys. I would like to be close on his track. This heaven of God, Patrick, for Finn of the Fianna and his race, make prayers for the great man. You've never heard of his like. I will not ask heaven for Finn, man of good wit that my anger is rising against, since his delight was to be living in valleys with the noise of the hunts. If you had been in company with the Fianna, Patrick of the joyless clerks, and of the bells, you would not be attending on schools or giving heed to God. I would not part from the Son of God for all that have lived east or west. O oh, Shane, O oh, shaking poet, there will harm come on you and satisfaction for the priests. It was a delight to Finn, the cry of his hounds on the mountains, the wild dogs leaving their harbours, the pride of his armies, those were his delights. Well, there were many a thing Finn took delight in, and there is not much heed given to it after him. Finn and his hounds are not living now, and you yourself will not always be living, Moshane. There is a greater story of Finn than of us, or of any that have lived in our time. All that are gone, and all that are living, Finn was better to give out gold than themselves. All the gold you and Finn used to be giving out, it is little it does for you now. He is in hell in bonds because he did treachery and oppression. It is little, I believe, of your truth, man from Rome with the white books. Finn the open-handed of the Fianna to be in the hands of devils or demons. Finn is in the bonds in hell, the pleasant man that gave out gold. In satisfaction for his disrespect to God, he is under grief in the house of pain. If the sons of Morna were within it, or the strong men of the sons of Boshin, they would take Finn out of it, or they would have the house for themselves. If the five provinces of Ireland were within it, or the strong seven battalions of the Fianna, they would not be able to bring Finn out of it, however great their strength might be. If Phelan and Gaul were living, and brown-haired Dearmud and brave Osgar, Finn of the Fianna could not be held in any house that was made by God or devils. If Phelan and Gaul were living, and all the Fianna that ever were, they could not bring out Finn from the house where he is in pain. What did Finn do against God but to be attending on schools and on armies? Giving gold through a great part of his time, and for another while trying his hounds. Well, in payment for thinking of his hounds and for serving the schools of the poets, and because he gave no heed to God, Finn of the Fianna is held down. You say, Patrick of the Psalms, that the Fianna could not take out Finn or the five provinces of Ireland along with them. Well, I have a little story about Finn. We were but fifteen men when we took the king of Britain by the strength of our spears and our own strength. We took Magnus the Great, the son of the king of Lachlan of the speckled ships. We came back no way sorry or tired. We put our rent on far places. Ah, Patrick, the story is pitiful. 
the king of the Fianna to be under locks, a heart without envy, without hatred, a heart in earning victory. It's an injustice, God to be unwilling to give food and riches. Finn never refused strong or poor, although cold hell is now his dwelling place. It is what Finn had a mind for, to be listening to the sound of Draumdurg, to sleep at the stream of Esruad, to be hunting the deer of Galim of the Bays, the cries of the blackbird of Letterlee, the wave of Rodroig, beating the strand, the bellowing of the ox of Mogmuin, the lowing of the calf of Glound Owl, the noise of the hunt on Sleeve Crot, the sound of the fawns around Sleeve Kua, the scream of the seagulls there beyond on Eris, the screech of the crows over the battle, the waves vexing the breasts of the boats, the howling of the hounds at Drumleash, the voice of Bran on Conacher, the outcry of the streams about Sleeve Mish, the call of Osgar going to the hunt, the voice of the hounds on the road of the Fianna, to be listening to them and to the poets, that was always his desire. A desire of the desires of Osgar was to listen to the striking of shields, to be hacking at bones in a battle. It is what he had a mind for always. We went westward one time to hunt at Formod of the Fianna to see the first running of our hounds. It was Finn was holding Bran, and it was with myself, Skion, and was Diermud of the women had Firin, and Osgar had Lucky Anual. Conan the Bald had Shark, Quiltia son of Ronan had Dale, Lewis son Angal were holding Fuam and Fothrin. That was the first day we loosed out our share of hounds to a hunting, and ah, oh, Patrick, of all that were in it, there's not one left living but myself. Patrick, it's a pity the way I am now, a spent old man without sway, without quickness, without strength, going to mass at the altar. Without the great deer of Sleeve Lucra, without the hairs of Sleeve Quillen, without going into fights with Finn, without listening to the poets, without battles, without taking of spoils, without playing at nimble feats, without going courting or hunting, two trades that were my delight. Oh, leave off, old man, leave your foolishness. Let what you have done be enough for you from this out. Think on the pains that are before you. The Fianna are gone, and you yourself will be going. If I go, may yourself not be left after me, Patrick of the Hindering Heart. If Conan, the least of the Fianna, were living, your buzzing would not be left long to you. Or if this was the day I gave ten hundred cows to the headless woman that came to the valley of the two oxen, the birds of the air brought away the ring I gave her and I never knew where she went herself from me. Well, that is little to trouble you, O'Shane. It was but for a while she was with you. It is better for you to be as you are than to be among them again. O oh, son of Calpurna, the friendly talk. It's a pity for him that gives respect to clerks and bells. I and Quiltia, my friend, we were not poor when we were together. The music that put Finn to his sleep was the cackling of the ducks from the Lake of the Three Narrows, the scolding talk of the black bird of Duan Karn, the bellowing of the ox from the Valley of the Berries, the whistle of the eagle from the Valley of Victories, 
or from the rough branches of the ridge by the stream, the grouse of the heather of Crocken, the call of the otter of Drumrikul, or the song of the blackbird of Dua and Cairn, indeed I never heard sweeter music if I could be under its nest. My grief that I ever took baptism, it's little credit I got by it, being without food, without drink, doing fasting and praying. Well, in my opinion, it did not harm you, old man. You will get nine score cakes of bread, wine, and meat to put a taste on it. It is bad talk you were giving. This mouth that is talking with you may it never confess to a priest if I would not sooner have the leavings of Finn's house than a share of your own meals. He got but what he gathered from the banks or whatever he could kill on the rough hills. He got hell at the last because of his unbelief. That was not the way with us at all. But our fill of wine and of meat, justice and a right beginning at the feasts, sweet drinks and every one drinking them. It is fretting about Dermod and Gaul I am, and after Fergus of the true lips, the time you will not let me be speaking of them, O new Patrick from Rome. We would give you leave to be speaking of them, but first you should give heed to God. Since you are now at the end of your days, leave your foolishness, weak old man. Oh, Patrick, tell me as a secret, since it is you who have the best knowledge. Will my dog or my hound be let in with me to the court of the King of Grace? Old man, in your foolishness that I cannot put any bounds to, your dog or your hound will not be let in with you to the court of the King of Power. If I had acquaintance with God and my hound to be at hand, I would make whoever gave food to myself give a share to my hound as well. One strong champion that was with the Fianna of Ireland would be better than the Lord of Piety, and that you yourself, Patrick. Oh, Ocean of the Sharp Blades, it is mad words you were saying. God is better for one day than the whole of the Fianna of Ireland. Though I am now without sway and my life is spent to the end, do not put abuse, Patrick, on the great men of the sons of Bashna. If I had Conan with me, the man that used to be running down the Fianna, it is he who would break your head with among your clerks and your priests. It is a silly thing, old man, to be talking always of the Fianna. Remember, your end is come. Take the Son of God to help you. I used to sleep out on the mountain under the grey dew. I never used to go to bed without food, while there was a deer on the hill beyond. You are astray at the end of your life between the straight way and the crooked. Keep out from the crooked path of pains, and the angels of God will come beneath your head. If myself and open-handed Fergus and Dermod were together now on this spot, we would go in every path we ever went in and ask no leave of the priests. Leave off, O'Shane. Do not be speaking against the priests that are telling the word of God in every place. Unless you leave off your daring talk, it is great pain you will have in the end. When myself and the leader of the Fianna were looking for a boar in a valley, it was worse to me not to see it than all your clerks to be without their heads. Oh, it is pitiful seeing you without sense. That is worse to you than your blindness. If you were to get sight within you, it is great your desire would be for heaven. It's little good it would be to me to be sitting in that city without Quiltia without Osgar, without my father being with me. 
The leap of the buck would be better to me or the sight of badgers between two valleys than all your mouth is promising me and all the delights I could get in heaven. Oh, your thoughts are foolish and they will come to nothing. Your pleasure and your mirth are gone. Unless you will take my advice tonight, you will not get leave on this side or that. If myself and the Fianna were on the top of a hill today, drawing out our spearheads, we would have had our choice of being here or there, in spite of books and priests and bells. Oh, you were like the smoke of a wisp, or like a stream in a valley, or like a whirling wind on the top of a hill, every tribe of you that ever lived. If I was in company with the people of strong arms, the way I was at Berne de Quille, I would sooner be looking at them than at this troop of the crooked croziers. If I had Skulb Skane with me, or Osgar, that was smart in battles, I would not be without meat tonight at the sound of the bell of the seven tolls. Portion, since your wits are gone from you, be glad at what I say. It is certain to me you will leave the Fianna, and that you will receive God of the Stars. There is wonder on me at your hasty talk priest that has travelled in every part, to say that I would part from the Fianna, a generous people. If you saw the people of God, the way they are settled at feasts, every good thing there is more plentiful with them than with Finn's people, however great their name was. Finn and the Fianna are lying now, very sorrowful, on the flagstone of pain. Take the Son of God in their place, make your repentance, and do not lose heaven. I do not believe your talk now. Patrick of the crooked staves, Finn and the Fianna to be there within, unless they find pleasure being in it. Make right repentance now before you know when your end is coming. God is better for one hour than the whole of the Fianna of Ireland. That's a daring answer to make to me, Patrick of the crooked crozier. Your crozier would be in little bits if I had Oscar with me now. If my son Oscar and God were hand to hand on the hill of the Fianna, and if I saw my son put down, I would say that God was a strong man. How could it be that God or his priests could be better men than Finn, the king of the Fianna, a generous man without crookedness? There was a place above or below better than the heaven of God. It is there Finn would go, and all that are with him of his people. You say that a generous man never goes to the hell of pain. There was not one among the Fianna that was not generous to all. Ask of God, Patrick, does he remember when the Fianna were alive? Or has he seen east or west any man better than themselves in their fighting? The Fianna used to not be saying treachery. We never had the name of telling lies. By truth and the strength of our hands, we came safe out of every battle. There never sat a priest in a church though you think it's sweet to be singing psalms, was better to his word than the Fianna, or more generous than Finn himself. If my comrades were living tonight, I would take no pleasure in your crooning in the church. As they are not living now, the rough voice of the bells has deafened me. Ah, in the place of battles and heavy fights, where I used to have my place and to take my pleasure, the crozier of Patrick being carried and his clerks at their quarreling. Slothful, cheerless Conan, it is great abuse I used to be giving you. Why do you not come to see me now? You would get leave for making fun and reviling through the whole of these clerks. Where are the strong men gone that they do not come together to help me? 
O Osgar, the sharp sword of victory, come and free your father from his bonds. Where's the strong son of Louis? Ah, dear mid of all the women. And Quiltia, son of Ronan, think of our love and travel to me. Oh, stop your talk, you withered, witless old man. It is my king that made the heavens. It is he that gives blossom to the trees. It is he made the moon and the sun, the fields and the grass. It was not in shaping fields and grass that my king took his delight, but in overthrowing fighting men and defending countries and bringing his name into every part, in courting, in playing, in hunting, in bearing his batter at the first of a fight, in playing at chess, at swimming, in looking around him at the drinking hall. Ah, Patrick, where was your god when the two came over the sea that brought away the queen of Lachlan of the ships? Where was he when Derug came, the son of the king of Lachlan of the golden shields? Why did not the king of heaven protect them from the blows of the big man? Or when Telk, son of Treon, came, the man that did great slaughter in the Fianna, it was not by God that champion fell, but by Oscar in the sight of all. Many a battle and many a victory was gained by the Fianna of Ireland, and I never heard any great deed was done by the king of saints, or that he ever reddened his hand. It would be a great shame for God not to take the locks off of pain, off Finn. If God himself were in bonds, my king would fight for his sake. Finn left no one in pain or in danger without freeing him by silver or gold, or by fighting till he got the victory. For the strength of your love, Patrick, do not forsake the great men. Bring in the Fianna unknown to the King of Heaven. It is a good claim I have on your God to be among his clerks the way I am, without food, without clothing, without music, without giving rewards to poets, without the cry of the hounds or the horns, without guarding coasts, without courting generous women. For all that I have suffered by the want of food, I forgive the king of heaven in my will. My story is sorrowful. The sound of your voice is not pleasant to me. I will cry my fill, but not for God, but because Finn and the Fianna are not living. If you're wondering how all that turned out, well, Lady Gregory doesn't leave us hanging. In 1909, she wrote another book, the Kiltartan History Book, where she lets us know that, despite the many insults that seem to have been hurled back and forth between O'Sheen and Patrick, the mighty old warrior finally came around to his new reality. Here are a few paragraphs from Lady Gregory's Kiltartan History Book. It was before the flood those strong men lived in Ireland, Finn and O'Sheen and the others, and they lived longer than people do now, three or four hundred years. O'Sheen lived the longest of all, because all of those years he was away in a trance. He was saved after that by St. Patrick. But all the others are said to be in hell, because they cared nothing about God. For if one of us had a field of oats or barley ripening in the sun, we'll say, thanks be to God. But if they had a field of oats or barley, they'd be thankful to one another, or to themselves, for they thought of themselves to be as much as God. Did Patrick have much trouble to concert O'Sheen? Not at all. He was as blind as that floor. It was not long after that St. Patrick got him converted, and as soon as he was converted him, Patrick was such in a hurry not to lose a minute, but to baptize O'Sheen at once, that Patrick struck down his spear on O'Sheen's foot without seeing it, 
and pinned him by the instep to the ground. And when he saw a stream of blood coming from the instep, Patrick said to O'Sheen, Why did you make no sign when the spear struck you? And O'Sheen said, I thought it was part of the rite of baptism, and I wouldn't begrudge a little drop of blood to be God Almighty. He died soon after, and it was saved because he showed such patience. But all his friends are in hell. But when they lived, angels used to come sometimes to see them and to talk with them. They were so nice and respectable. That about does it for us today. We hope you enjoyed our attempt to put some meat on the bones of St. Patrick, rather than leave him smothered in the fog of history, sparse as it is. He really does sound like one interesting fellow, at least according to Lady Gregory, and we're all forgiving him, so to speak, his first official driver's license, if not ready to sign any petition that might make it so. So next time you're passing the Vatican, give a shout out for making St. Patrick, well, an official card-carrying saint. But if you're passing through Ireland, why not raise a pint or two for O'Sheen, Finn, and the boys of the Fianna? I'm Lauren Conway, and for Leslie Betts, Jeff Bowman, Kathy Chapetsky, Brian Peterson, Carol Peterson, Lynn Stewart, Mark Wormkey, and our producer, Barry Conway, we'd all like to wish you a very happy St. Patrick's Day. Or, as they sometimes say in Ireland, may your troubles be less and your blessings be more, and nothing but happiness come through your door. <laughs>